Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Legal Tech Week, the show where we talk about the top stories in legal tech and innovation from the past week or so. Today is July 21st, 2023, and yesterday, was it, Jean, was your birthday or the day before? Your birthday uh, was this was week. My, Happy birthday. Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you. Happy birthday, Jean. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I am uh, Bob Ambrogi. Uh, I write the blog Law Sites and have the podcast Law Next. Uh, and Jean, as the birthday girl of the week, uh, why don't you kick it off with your introduction? Okay, I uh, am the editor and publisher and writer of Dewey B Strategic, which co covers legal information, legal technology, legal knowledge management, and whatever else I feel like talking about. Uh, and I also write a monthly column for Legal Tech Hub. And uh, Victor. Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Lee. I am Assistant Managing Editor for the ABA Journal, handling business of, the business of law and technology. Steve Embry. Hey, Steve Embry here. I write the blog Tech Law, Cross Tech Law Crossroads. And some days I can speak better than others, um, which is on legal technology and innovation and liking whatever the hell else I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. And Nikki. Hi there, my name is Nikki Black. I am the head of SME and external education in my case and law pay. I write legal tech columns for the journal above the law, the Rochester Daily Record, and I also um, oversee and write the uh, benchmark reports and um, the annual industry report on the my case and law pay side of things. And I'm looking forward to today. All right, and last but not least, Joe. Joe Patrice from Above the Law and Thinking Like a Lawyer, the podcast, and I am just happy, happy to be at the end of another week because I am going to take a couple weeks off after this. I mean, I may still show up for the show, but I'm not going to write everything, which is going to be beautiful. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. I know, I'm just, right? I'm it, just it's... looking at next week. Uh, I've got like the worst week coming up. Yeah. I've got uh, I as you I, as a, I'm a lobbyist in my day job, and I've just just got notice of 16 different bills that I have to prepare testimony for by Wednesday. So uh, mm. uh, I'm not happy about that. Um, plus, there's a few legal tech stories coming up next week. Um, uh -oh. <laughs> are they all on AI? They are all on AI, of course. Actually, um, no, well, no, I have one that isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm working uh, on those this weekend so that I can be off the next oh, week. Oh, that's that's good. Uh, well, before we get to the stories, I thought maybe we should try and take a couple minutes to talk about the AAAL conference, the American Association of Law Libraries that was this week. Uh, Steve and Jean and I were there. Uh, Stephanie Wilkins is usually on the show, was also there, but she's unable to be on the show today because she's betwixt and between hotels, I think is her problem. Um, so, uh, I, 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 it was kind of interesting. I, I'm looking forward to just hearing, uh, Gene and Gene and Steve's uh, thoughts on this because, uh, I was, I was leaving the conference. I had gone, got my hotel, got my luggage and checked out of my hotel. And I was walking through the like mall like place that was attached to the conference hall to get back to my car. And this woman came running up to me and stopped me and said, you don't know me, but I know who you are. And she said, and there's a bunch of us standing over here talking about the conference. And we're really dying to hear your thoughts because we were all kind of disappointed. Uh, yeah. And we all thought it felt like an unconference. And they didn't mean that in the term of like cool, you know, hip little conferences, but that it, it never congealed as a conference around around a theme or a common sense of purpose or something like that. Um, I kind of had that feeling too. I felt I, it was a, it felt like a little bit lower key than this conference has been in past years, uh, from what I've experienced. And I think you know uh, I, I had a couple of theories ar ar around that. Why that is? I think part of it was just simply the, the venue because it was it was in Boston. I was glad for that, but uh, it's in this you know this center where there's the Heinz Auditorium, which is where the conference activity takes place, which is this big cavernous place that you have to walk through uh, to get to any of the programs. But then the the participants were all in a bunch of different hotels, all kind of connected through this mall, and it was kind of like no, it felt like there was no center of gravity to the conference, like there was no 
sort of one place where you knew you'd run into people from the conference or no one bar that you could hang out with people from the conference, uh, importantly. Um, and uh, so I don't know. I don't know if that was it. The, the, the uh, just it was, a, I think, attendance was down a little bit from last year, but not significantly. The exhibit hall seemed uh, a little smaller to me. I don't know the numbers on that, but uh, also seemed a little, and, oh, they had this weird exhibit hall <laughs> uh, where there was right. like one side and then you had to walk through this long tunnel, the sort of thing to get to the other side. And neither side was all that crowded to justify two sides of this thing. But I don't know. What do you, what did you guys think over there? Well, it, you know, the exhibit hall thing was kind of interesting. And I think maybe I had many of the same feelings you did, Bob, although I, I still love the conference. I thought it was really good. No, the I, speakers I, were I good, was... And the topics were good and it was good to see people. And, but I think, it, the exhibit hall kind of contributed to that because it because it was divided in half by what would you say 120 feet of hallway that where there was nothing. Um, my first thought was it doesn't seem like there's the same number of exhibitors as usual. But then after I thought about it, I thought, well, there may be the same number. It's just that they're they're cut in half. So you go to one half and then you go to the other half and then so it, it seemed a little disjointed that way um i mean i it was it was good i mean i was glad i went i i didn't uh show up until sunday which also kind of was also kind of discombobulating because i usually show up on saturday and go to the opening reception and you know sort of get acclimated so i was felt like i was a little behind the whole time with what was going on and then i had to leave a little early um, so putting all that together, I don't know whether it was uh, my schedule or the exhibit hall or what, but it did seem a little not quite as um, exuberant as maybe as maybe last year. But again, you know, I I like the show a lot because I really feel like that people that go to that show are there to learn stuff. I mean, they're not there to hustle business or you know. BS people, they're basically there to learn and learn from each other and learn from the speakers, which makes it a really nice sort of vibe about the whole show. Gene, what do you think? So I'm so I guess I'm curious. The group of people who wanted to talk to you, were they firm from law firms? I assume they were not academics. They were from law firms. That's right. Yeah, because I think that is a perennial controversy. And I even thought that when I first saw the program this year, it was heavily academic. And firms, it's harder for firms to send people when there's no what's in it for me as a law firm. It's harder to justify when the, the topics are very esoteric or less related to the, you know, the, the actual practice of law. So I think that was one thing that was going on. The other pattern I've noticed over the years, which is sort of now going to be contradictory, is the better the city, the worse the program. So if the city is a really interesting place to visit, uh, the, the, the programs tend to not be as interesting. But when the city is really not so great, you know, like one of those I'm not going to insult any particular city, but I've been to cities that, and often those, those sort of smaller, no, no flashing light cities have really, really good conferences because that would be the only reason for people to attend would be to actually go to programs. Um, so, oh, uh, then. So well, we the, did you the favor of giving you a lot of rain, so you wouldn't have any good oh reason my to go gosh, outside. And I did try and get out to a museum. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I did notice, you know, most years I try and write um, about new exhibitors and I kept going back to them. One of the weird things I did notice, and I ended up not writing my review of new exhibitors because as far as I could tell, most of the new exhibitors were print publishers. And then that, re that leads me into another, like it felt like a time warp. The thing that had been identified as a hot topic was getting rid of print, 
which for me was a big red flag about who on earth was, how is that a hot topic for anybody? Because most <laughs> law firms, got, I mean, that that even if you were a little bit behind, that, that question was answered during the pandemic. It's print is gone. It's not a hot topic. It hasn't been a hot topic in years. And so, and 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 I think we, we were in a conversation with some highly technological people who were absolutely appalled at the lack of, or the the few number of truly cutting edge program titles. And I have to say, when I walked into Susan Nevelo Mart's program, I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was because it actually was it had the weirdest title. Yeah. It was like grazing on the information savannah. Right. <laughs> and it was the best, it, to me, it right. was hands down I the agree. best program of the whole conference. And, you know, both of you can share. I mean, they were wonderful panelists, provocative questions. Everything about it was wonderful. And right. I, so, so I, so what I wanted to conclude by saying, there doesn't just, I've been noticing there weren't a lot of new and innovative small products. And you know how, Bob, at some conferences you have the, that's the tech startup hall. There was no sense of tech startups. And of course you had yeah. sort of possibly the end of two of the most beloved smaller companies where you had fast case completely blended into VLEX and you had the tiny case text booth next to Thomson Reuters about to be devoured. So, you know, I think there were some things. So my, my point is that I, I think part of the energy comes from innovators and new and exciting products being there. And I just saw, frankly, a lot of the companies I didn't recognize were all print publishers or print distributors, which I thought was really weird. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you're you're spot on with all of that, Gene. I, I, I thought it was kind of ironic about all the print publishers as well. And then there seemed to be like kind of kind of strange exhibitors like, you know, bar exam kind of people and and uh, academic exhibitors and I don't know. It, it just um, it, it is true that maybe it, it is just a simple fact of life that we don't have as many innovative new people <clears throat> coming up with products. It's so many have been have been gobbled up by, by the big guys. But um, but I agree with you on that presentation. I, I almost didn't go because I said, what is what is this all grazing on the whatever? What? <laughs> but that, that was the best stick my head I went to. Yeah. Yeah, I just stuck my head in the, in the door and stay because it was so good. <laughs> I, I wish uh, uh, I, I wish that was recorded somewhere because I'm I'm kicking myself for not getting the last like two or three minutes when Ed Walters kind of gave this little spiel about how essentially machines are dumb and we're all kind of overrating them <laughs> and we have to keep that in mind. Uh, and and the way he put it was brilliant, and I, I know, didn't I get any of it, but. I know, me either, because I, I, it was really, it was so crowded, it was hard to take notes, but I, I really think that one should have been recorded. Yeah. Well, wasn't the quote about how, like, uh, I wasn't there, but wasn't the quote about how, like, machines, everyone thinks machines are really smart and that they're going to take over the world, but they actually have taken over the world, but they're stupid or something like that. Was it that, was it that quote? Or? I think, I think not, I've heard him say that. Well, before. not that they actually have taken over the world, but that they are... You know that that they are still just machines, and that they have their limits, and and that we're all putting so much weight and emphasis on ChatGPT uh, that we're kind of forgetting the limits of this technology. I think is more the message of it that I took away anyway. But I also wondered again. I don't want to spend the whole time on this because not everybody was there at the conference, but. I also wondered whether that sort of lack of a sense of, uh, I don't know, of innovation, of new startup tech or whatever, I, I agree with you, Gene, about that, that was a factor. But I, I, I felt like some of the vendors I talked to there just kind of felt in, like they're in this sort of betwixt and between state where they're all trying to figure out, you know, generative AI and, and some of them are haven't launched products yet or are trying to think about how they want to respond to this or create products. and. It's just it's like we're in this like uh, stage where that, people just weren't quite sure what to do. Actually, that's obvious, but I hadn't observed it until you said there were no, not one major product announcement. 
yeah. which is normally what happens there. Everybody has a major thing, but I guess yeah. everyone's plans got derailed by AI, you know, chat GDP or whatever it's called today. Everyone got derailed by that and they're coming up with new products and new ideas and they're testing new things and they don't really want to talk about. So you're absolutely right. Everybody's in between. And in fact, you know, that was one of the weird things about so many of the panels is that we're all talking about something that nobody actually knows. It's five months old and nobody actually knows what it's mean, what it means or where it's going to end up. And I guess yeah. it's probably a preview of ILTA. Well, you know, what's interesting to me hearing you all talk about this is I feel like this summer is a weird summer, generally speaking. It's I think the, everyone's kind of in limbo. The tech companies, the way you're talking about, are kind of in limbo with generative AI and what are they going to do with it? I feel like people this summer are finally able to tr travel wherever they couldn't travel during the pandemic. So the like I'm in a tourist area right now, but it's uh, like I, I'm in the Finger Lakes. And in the past few summers, it's been really packed because it's everyone driving here. And this is finally the summer when everyone can go somewhere else, at, like to the beach or to wherever they couldn't go before. And so it's not really crowded here because everyone left. the. I think everyone's just kind of having this hurrah, like I can get out and they're having parties and they're having, you know, um, events. And and I think that they're, they don't want to go to a conference. And if they are at the conference, they kind of might not have even wanted to be there by the time they got there. Like, I don't think that's what people want to do this summer. And I think that it just sounds like everything is kind of in limbo or coming out of the pandemic and everyone's not quite sure what's next. You know, are we hybrid? Are we remote? Is everyone back to the office? You know, there's all these different things that everyone's just not sure what's next and generative AI muddies it even more. That sounds like a great year yeah. to have ILTA at Disney. Uh, when everyone doesn't want to go to a conference, but <laughs> does want to have somebody else pay to send them somewhere. It's going to well, be horrible, you know, Jean, by the way, walking between those buildings. I am not. Oh, God, yeah. Gene, it. Gene made a good point. Well, I mean, I, I think that businesses are less willing or or maybe more. They demand more justification to send people to pay to send people to conferences than perhaps they used to. Um, and so that that could be part of it as well. I don't know. Was well, double A usually over a weekend? Because I thought that was weird. I was like, why would why would you start a conference on a Saturday? Like, why wouldn't you start on a on like a Monday or like a Thursday going into a weekend or something like it, that? You know, like because well, if you're if you're gonna give a weekend, especially in the summertime, it's like it better be a good conference. You know, so my my standards would be very high going in. It usually starts on Sunday, but in the past for the past ten years, this is been this thing called the summit, which is just for private law librarians. Um, and that that has become a big event. And a lot of people show up for that. And then there's a an event that night. So I mean, actually, that makes it start on Friday, because I think Bloomberg always sponsors the pre-conference, whatever it is, reception before the summit. So it it does, it, it, it is longer, but actually, it's shortened on the other end, it used to go through Wednesday, and now it only went through Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I was uh, one of one of the panels I attended there was on uh, whether uh, generative AI is going to play a role in enhancing access to justice. Uh, and I, I made I may chat about that panel a little bit in a second. But but Joe has a story that's kind of right on point this week uh, on generative AI and access to justice. Well, you know, and it's in, so I, I can't claim much credit. This story is actually from the Financial Times, and then I wrote a quick repack of it. Uh, because financial credit Times, for finding the story, yeah, fair, <laughs> fair, fair. So, the Financial Times uh published a piece by uh Natalie Byram, who uh sits off, went off mic, we lost you. Joe's got a new headset. Testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. No, there you All go. Right. Okay. So yeah, uh, Nellie Byron, who sits on a lot of government panels over there in the UK, and she was writing this article from the UK perspective, which is why I felt I should do a little repack. Uh, but one of the things she argued, and it speaks to a big issue that we've been talking about, is that she was like, look, to the extent there's an argument that access to justice is enhanced by AI, that needs to be tempered by the fact that whatever generative AI ends up becoming, we've all been pretty consistent that it depends on how it gets trained. 
And, in, and, you know, at least over in the UK, she argued that there's a lot of legal data that is gatekeep, there are gatekeepers and walled off from access to the people who need it the most. And therefore, if AI is training and the best material is only owned by the haves, then that generative AI is ultimately going to favor the haves unless the government does something about it. Uh, and she, but she does use as one of her examples, the case text acquisition. And she puts in there like, you know, look, here's a good example. One of the biggest private publishers in the United States is buying this generative AI for legal platform. And it's going to be a perfect marriage for them. But, you know, you're going to have to have somebody with access to Lexus ultimately is how this is going to play out. And the argument is if, we really think this has potential for access to justice, then those are two different vectors that are problematic. Uh, this is where in a, a normal country, you would say that might be an antitrust issue and there should be two separate government, two separate companies for information and the way it's delivered, but we're not that kind of country. So, uh, but, so I just thought it was interesting that that's gonna be a thing. I uh, actually, my, yeah. No, I was go, just- No, no, go. It's actually worse than that because I believe that the the kinds of courts that poor people need access to aren't even covered. They're not anywhere. Family court, landlord tenant yeah. court, no one's putting that stuff online. Nobody's tracking those dockets. So there's no nobody is aggregating oops, the intelligence for well, those you, those data sets at all. And you know, that's actually so the point that I make in my piece, because this week uh, Trellis introduced some, announced that they're going to introduce, I guess they didn't introduce, uh, some new analytics, uh, you know, and they've been doing kind of yeoman's work of taking a bunch of black box state dockets and actually digitizing them. But, you know, and, and so good for them. I don't want to like make it sound like I'm against them, but like this is, this is kind of the part and parcel of the problem, right? Like a lot of the courts that the have nots are going to end up in are these kind of courts that it took trellis in the year of our Lord 2020 or whatever to finally start scanning. Uh, and that's scary. But, but are the car, I mean, are the courts, are those courts even automated in any sense at all? I mean, no, I, those I, are probably the most underfunded courts. And yeah. I mean, it's almost like every, 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 every law firm should adopt a court court, to digitize it and bring it into the 21st century. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Wait, wait, wait hold on. Let's sit there. That, that is that is a pro bono uh, task. You should uh, you should pitch to people like make the big law firms kick some all of them kick some money towards it. This court sponsored by Jones Day. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the U.S. Supreme. That's the U.S. Supreme what could, Court. Anyway, what could go wrong? Go on. <laughs> yeah, the Supreme Court. Um, you know, I, I went to this. Uh, I went to this panel on at, at AALL that was sort of titled uh, "How Generative AI Can Enhance Access to Justice." And it was a good panel in some ways, but the entire and, and the, probably the most interesting uh, speaker on the panel was was, was Michael Samanchek of the California Innocence Project, talking about how they've been using uh, actually case text co-counsel and part and some other tools to be able to go through these huge sets of uh, files that they need to review to, for innocence cases. I know Joe, you and I had talked to Relativity uh, last year, I think Adulta or something about, about how they're doing a similar kind of a thing with some innocence projects. I think Relativity uh, Fast. Actually. Yeah, Relativity yeah. Fast, that, of course. It was yeah. Relativity Fast, thank you. Um, but, but, my my gripe about this was that the entire panel it was uh, uh, was was focused on how generative AI is going to increase the capacity of lawyers to deliver legal services with the with the sort of unspoken conclusion that if we let if we enable lawyers to deliver more legal services we will therefore address the access to justice gap, which is like not even close to true you know it i don't care if we double triple the capacity of lawyers the access to justice gap i mean that's just still only addressing the tip of the iceberg of the access to justice gap and uh you know so many of these cases if you look at when they talk people talk about the 80 90 percent of uh people who have legal problems who aren't assisted by a lawyer so many of those cases aren't cases that would ever go to a lawyer 
oh, you know, or that a lawyer would ever handle. They need other kinds of help with those cases. And so I, I stood in line at that panel for a very long time to ask the question that I then never got. To, I was the last one who got shut off and I never got to ask the question. But my question was, was going to be, can this technology, can this generative AI technology ever be harnessed in a, in a safe enough way for it to be used to deliver legal help directly to consumers without there having to be that sort of lawyer in the loop or whatever we want to call it? Uh, to ensure the 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 you know the the veracity and, and the lack of hallucinations, uh, and uh, I don't know the answer because I didn't get to ask the question. But I think ben, that's really what, what ben, we need to be talking about. I was chatting with one of the panelists, and, and his that was a precise argument that he was making is that well, this will increase the ability of of litigants because we're talking about litigation, but I guess it could be anybody any sort of thing that. You know, people can can function now pro se in many with for many things that they couldn't before. But I'm, I don't know that that's true. Be, if it were true, you you know, you have you still have the yeah. It could be hallucinations, but is it better than no? You know, right. is being wrong some X percent of the time better than never having a shot at all? That's one question. It's, but especially you know, if they it, have, but it oh. only. But it'll only take you so far, right? I mean, so yeah, you can you can get Chat GPT to draft a complaint for you on a subject. Well, we can't take a deposition for you. <laughs> can't answer interrogatory. So there's you know there's still yeah it could ratchet you up someplace, but I'm not sure how far how far it could go. Sorry, Joe. Oh no, I was just going to say unless unless you have do not pay in your ear telling you how to do everything, yeah. to go back to an older subject. Although again, to to the do not pay thing, I mean, we're all kind of snickering because of that some ill-fated publicity stunts uh, on their part. But you know, one of the argue of the the angle I took on that as it fell apart was just you know, look, everyone's dancing on the grave of they weren't able to do some random traffic court hearing, and all I could think is none of you would touch that traffic court hearing with a 40 foot pole. So like, is it really even all that much worse? Like if, if they're not making it any worse, I mean, maybe they aren't helping and, you know, maybe they're collecting money for not actually helping yada, yada, but it can't be worse. Uh, so I don't know. I kind of defended them a little on that. Yeah. Right. I, and I don't know. Well, I mean, I have a, I mean, well, I have a, I have, I have a magazine feature coming out, I think at the end of the month. It actually looks at pop culture and 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 it's my it's my annual law and pop culture feature, but it looks at technology and movies and sci-fi shows and whatnot, and how a lot of those things are actually coming into the law now or are already in place. I have been in place for a while, and so one thing that one thing that I spoke with uh, Miguel Willis, who is a former uh, legal rebel and some other, and, and 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 he put it he put it very plainly. He goes, "Look, you have a tool that's available to everyone, right?" and if you look at the housing, if you just look at like one aspect, like if you have housing court and 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 landlord tenant court and whatnot, so yeah, you can have a tool that could help tenants, you know, navigate this. But you also could also you could also make you could also use that tool to help landlords, like evict tenants more 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 uh, efficiently, quickly, you know, and, and and help them out because you know they they also have 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 their interests at play. So who do you think is going to get the funding at the end of the day? You know. You, you have wealthy wealthy landlords on one end, and uh, you know potentially broke tenants on the other hand. Who do you think is gonna Who do you think is gonna get the funding? So no, it, it's definitely it definitely shows that like just because there's technology that could come and and help and help you know um, bridge access just get, but it doesn't necessarily mean it will. I mean, uh, and, and and it's available to people who who maybe want to make the gap even long even bigger. Yeah, I mean, isn't the problem capitalism? <laughs> We can't solve capitalism with generative AI, I don't think. <laughs> and that's the, that's what drives all of these issues, right? Like that's what drives access to justice and the failure to address it. It's capitalism. Capitalism is now, the antithesis. Now who's, be, now no who's being naive? You can't there. solve it. You can't solve it with AI. Who's being naive now? <laughs> uh, of course we can. When I type something into chat GPT and it gives me a hallucination, that's actually it doing a kind of a culture jamming effect to try and break down the system it's it's ter it's saying no to the law by by making up law come on it's a now. robot yeah it's gonna be awesome <laughs> uh well yeah nikki ultimately i agree with you but i, I think also 
the, the the fact is you keep we keep talking about court hearings and different kind of court hearings and again so many of the access to justice issues have nothing to do with court they're not matters that are ever going to go to court they're they're smaller you know uh, health care bill disputes or uh uh you know complaints with a landlord short of an eviction hearing or something like that uh you know and, and those are things where you know i mean we we, we spent a, a number of episodes uh, trashing uh, do not pay on this show but I, I you know that's really the kind of stuff they are focused on on trying to use tech to address some of those really small things that that are just never going to get in the legal system in any in any formal way or be handled by a lawyer uh, but those are those are real legal problems with real impacts on on people and often especially on lower income people uh, so it seems like there should be potential for generative AI there but I don't know uh so um all right well speaking of capitalism uh what about the ethical implications of charging credit card fees nikki i came up with the <laughs> you know most uh fascinating subject this week um <laughs> uh i always follow new york ethics opinions hailing from new york as i do and so uh, and I was on vacation as well for the last week. So this is the only thing I've written since. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what we're going to talk about. Um, but it was just a New York ethics. Well, now opinion. you've got our attention. <laughs> <laughs> but and I think what's actually more interesting than the conclusion, which was, yeah, it's ethical as long as there's a written notice to the client. I mean, that was basically, yes, you can. Um, it's ethical to charge or have the client pay for the credit card processing fees as long as there's written notice, you know, pass that charge along to them um, or that fee along to them. But I think the more interesting issue, well, there's really two. Uh, a lawyer who from New York who read my article sent me an email and said, well, first of all, you know, sure, it's ethical, but what about is it legal? Can you do that in New York? Um, and I researched it and uh, you can, the law changed, but you have to provide written notice and also offer like a cash discount. Um, you know, if you pay in cash, you have to call it a discount um, if you're going to pass that fee along, like as an option, offer the cash discount thing. So which then begs the question, should you do it? And especially with those various requirements of notification and then having to have these other requirements that you have to follow under the law, just in terms of notification or how you're classifying things. Um, and I, I think that the real issue is should is a good business practice for lawyers to pass on credit card processing fees. And at the end of the article, I kind of touch on this and I say, you know, honestly, it's not a good idea um, because I hate it when I go to gas stations and because I don't want to get out of the car, um, I'll, like leave my car and go inside or I don't have cash on me. I have to pay extra to use my credit card. That really annoys me. Um, and when I have to pay other um, credit card fees uh, for certain types of things, it bothers me too. Like when um. I don't know, the doctor's office or something charges me the credit card processing fee. Um, I don't like it. It kind of bugs me and it kind of makes me not like the um, person or company I'm doing business with. So I think it's a bad idea for lawyers to do that. I think the better idea is once you decide to accept credit cards, and I should mention that lawyers who accept online payments, credit cards, debit cards, um, the data that we pulled from our my case um, benchmark report, which I'd mentioned previously, I write those. We pulled anonymized data and looked at it from my case and law pay, and they get paid faster and they collect more money. Like it just makes it easier for your clients to pay, and you get um, paid more. You get you collect more. So um, at the end of the day, it makes sense to accept credit cards. And so when law firms decide to do that, you just got to slightly readjust your hourly rates, you know, to account for that those fees. You figure out how much are we paying in fees over the course of your average month. And then you kind of break that down so that you calculate it's built into your um, hourly rates. You know, you raise them a little bit so that you recoup that cost on the end rather than on that end, on the back end, rather than charging your clients. So I think that that's an interesting thing to think about in terms of what is a good business practice in that regard and uh, how do you approach it? Not a super hot topic, but <laughs> no, but it's vindic it's vindication it's vindication from my mom because uh whenever she like would buy something she would always be like hey is there it, 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 can I get a deal if I pay in cash instead of paying a credit card um so uh so this is like this is like you know this is like manna from heaven for her good good job jumping in on that before I hit the button for the cricket sound effect that I was trying to cue up there so 
<laughs> well, I think the other thing is, you know, if you're if you're like Wachtel billing Elon Musk, uh, by, and he's paying by credit card, those fees can really add up. I mean, look, so he didn't pay, right? It was paid by the legacy corporation. Uh, and I wrote a whole article about this. I encourage everybody that's not really legal tech, but to read my like article about Wachtel and this bullshit um, or watch Legal Eagle did a video about it. He quotes me in it. But like, but there's all sorts of reasons why this was a reasonable fee. And there's all sorts of reasons why they did it at the last second, because it's borne out as accurate that Elon Musk refuses to pay the bills of the organizations he buys. Like, of course they did it because Wachtel is like, you know what? This motherfucker's going to try to screw us. And so they they did. And I don't think that's a problem, especially when they delivered forty three billion dollars worth of value to shareholders. I don't think 90 million is all that much of a deal, but whatever. Strikes me as kind of interesting that Elon Musk and another well-known public figure who may uh, have run for office and been elected one time, both seem to have problems and reputations for stiffing their lawyers. <laughs> I mean, the, the number the number one lesson I've learned over the last five or six years is that the secret to becoming a billionaire is refuse to pay your bills, which I thought <laughs> was going to be a problem for me. But apparently it doesn't compl- complicate life for anyone else. Well, that may be true if you're a billionaire, but if you are a New York City subway writer trying to evade your fare, Victor's got a story for you. Yeah, so this one, this one's near and dear to my heart, not just because I used to live in New York City, but um, when I when I when I was a prosecutor, we actually had to write up a lot of these cases of of uh, fare evasion. <laughs> we, we call we call it we call it theft of services. Uh, you'd be surprised how many of these cases came across our desk. Uh, and you they all they all end up. <laughs> Huh? Oh, you know, you it's, took it's a court? criminal offense. It's a no. Well, I mean, they they usually plead out, but like you know, on on occasion you would get a guy who was just like you know had so many convictions and so many such such a long rap sheet that that they would just take it to trial just 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 for 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 kicks. Um, but yeah, but 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 you know, it, it is it, it is a problem in New York City. People people jump into the jump into turnstile and not paying. I actually think they they could probably solve their problem. Of you know of of not making enough money off the subway if they adopted like one of those like Boston or DC type or San Francisco type systems where you pay based on like how how many how many stops you go or or uh, you know instead of just having one fare and then going in and, and riding wherever you want you know you have to like put your ticket in and put your ticket out and then it charges you based on how many stops you go but you know whatever that that, that, that that's never going to happen. Um, but yeah, like like there's so there um so. Another thing, another thing about about AI being used uh, for for uh, you know not so for well not I, I guess in this case just more like uh, adding to the surveillance um, the general like the general like um, over surveillance of people especially in New York City um, the the they're they're rolling out like uh, using AI to try to detect how many people uh, you know, evade 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 fares and whatnot and try to so 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 that way they can you know identify them and then also um, you know keep track of just how much money they're losing and whatnot. And you know it's one of those things where it's just like, uh, you know, it's 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 sort of um, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't what what you know people thought would 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 be, would be the best use of AI, but it's kind of like, well, yeah, why wouldn't they use it for that if if it's a way of just being being able to like you know catch people and 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 and, so, and solve a problem for them and whatnot. So that's that, that's all it was. It's uh, <laughs> you know um uh, I, I you know like like. It is. It is. It is an issue that 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 that, that they take that they take pretty seriously in the city. Um, you know, I've seen people jump the sub, jump jump the turnstile, and immediately get tackled to the ground by cops. Um, so it's not. It, 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 it is. It is something that they've been trying to work on for a while, and maybe this is the way that they clearly think that they're going to go with this. So, see, it's yeah, just I, another work from home problem. They should just let people work. Uh, from yeah. Home. Well, you know, and and that actually speaks to what I was going to say is. There's a lot of here, Nikki, you'll be happy. There's a lot of capitalism problems involved here, right? Like uh, a lot of rich people don't have to uh, commute anymore because they can work from home. Uh, a lot of poor people are coming in from further out. And that's that's actually why I've always, what I, one of the things I've loved the most about New York City uh, as somebody who lived there for a really long time and still live in the, in the vicinity is 
I do like that uh, it's a flat fee. And I understand that it's dumb in some ways, but it means that rich people who are only going two stops are basically subsidizing the people who live further out having to come in to work. And so, you know, an idea that would change that would be fine normally. In a normal city, that makes sense, right? Because the people who live far out are probably the people who are suburban rich assholes, and the people in the city are the people who really work there. But New York, in a beautiful, weird, crazy way, is the opposite. Uh, the, the folks who do a lot of those hard, like, real nose to the grindstone jobs that require coming into physically coming into an office in Manhattan every day can't afford to live in Manhattan and live clear the fuck out in Queens. And so those folks getting a cheaper way in is important. Uh, it, but like, I, I, I love the model of price by distance in other cities, but I feel like New York almost is better because it goes the other way. I thought it was interesting for a bunch of different reasons. Um, I, and tangentially, I was going to raise something very similar to what you said, Joe, which is that, all right, we're going to use AI. I mean, the people that are jumping the turnstiles more often than other people that can't afford. Um, I mean, they're jumping the turnstile either because they're a jerk or because they can't afford the fare. And so we're going to use AI to go after um, uh, the people that don't have a lot of money, like, you know, and people, and, and, I mean, this is what we're going to use this great technology for so that we can arrest a bunch of people for this two or three dollar, you know, um, issue. And it reminds me of when I was a public defender, I had a client who got arrested for taking a Tums and eating it. I had a client who got arrested for um, taking food from like a bulk section. My husband, my white husband walks around all the time snacking away like an idiot in the bulk food section. I was like, stop it. You're going to get arrested. <laughs> of course he doesn't get arrested because he's a white guy, you know, but I had clients who got arrested for just taking a little bit of food out of like a one piece of candy out of a bulk food section because they were black, you know? So it's like a socioeconomic and it's a um, systemic racism issue. Um, you know, and we know that, uh, for, that I love that when I read a couple of articles about this, they don't mention what type of AI? They just vaguely reference AI. I'm not sure is this facial recognition, which we know has is inherently um, has inherent bias that pro, um, because of the programming and because of the day that it's that's been fed into it, it can't recognize black faces very well, people of color, even women's faces. So all the white guys are jumping the turnstiles and they're getting away with it if it's like facial recognition tech. But not the black people or the people of color. Um, yeah. See, see the the discrimination that I now finally feel like as a white man. Finally, AI sees me too much. It's so <laughs> it's such a burden. Right, but so is well, it, it, takes, it really... takes a Supreme Court as a, as a reverse discrimination case, and you'll, right. you'll, you'll win. Right. Oh God, yeah. I could ban all of AI by pulling that case. Yeah. Just, I mean, just wait to just wait till you get older, Joe, and then you're no longer a some white guy you're an old white guy i know right see <laughs> we we are I, the most disadvantaged of all <laughs> homer uh, homer, Sim homer simpson once said uh, in an episode where like grandpa was complaining about being old and lisa crew was complaining about being young and homer said i'm a white male aged 18 to 35 everybody cares what i think <laughs> <laughs> which is sad but true it's funny because it's true <laughs> but, uh yeah but I just think it's interesting that it didn't mention what type of AI uh, and also that this is what they decided to use the technology for. I mean, I feel like so much of AI is being used for warfare and for crime fighting, you know, and it's it's this strange application of this technology um, or an unfortunate application of it. And I saw that I had that headline caught my eye, too. I tweeted about it and then I saw you'd um, submitted it, Victor, and it, it's. I don't know. It's just like a troubling use of AI, I think, or there's better ways to use the tech. Of if only I'm... Marx and Engels had had AI, we'd be better off. Well, it's sort of akin to that. Was it, was it um, Radio City Music Hall that used the AI to keep people who either lawyers, lawyers. are suited? Lawyers, or, yeah. lawyers suing them. Well, it was MSG, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay, so we had we had two other stories this week, and they somehow seem relevant to this. All I'm not exactly sure, but one one was Steve's. Steve had a story about uh, a commitment by tech companies to make AI safer and to monitor it. But then at the same time, Gene had a story about 
AI chat GPT getting dumber. <laughs> so I don't know where that leaves us when we're talking about using <laughs> uh, AI to, to monitor uh, fare evaders on, on subways. But uh, I don't know, Steve, why don't we start with you want to start well, with sure. You? Well, it, it wasn't my story. I saw it first in the, yeah, in the yeah. Washington Post. But um, uh, several big tech companies, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Meta, and uh, OpenAI entered into this voluntary agreement with the Biden administration to uh, let independent experts assess their security and be more open to what they're doing, all of which is kind of blah, blah, blah. But the thing that caught my eye is they, they committed to try to develop systems that would warn people when an image or a video or text has been created by artificial intelligence. And, you know, this has been something that, that as a former litigator, I've been worried about for, for a while is the ability of people to, to use AI to manipulate uh, or create images and text and, and things like that. And the ability of, of the gatekeepers, the judiciary to to ferret that out and figure that out. And, you know, it's, it's as, as we all know from, from the Daubert rulings that were sort of designed to do that. What what you end up with is a battle of experts. You know, <laughs> we can always get an expert to say anything, and um, so I I just had this fear that that with artificial intelligence and its its ability to create these kinds of things, it's going to make it so hard for a judge with limited resources, more cases than he or she can handle, to try to make these kinds of decisions when it's hard for even the most expert of people to figure it out. So I'm really hopeful that they'll follow through with this commitment and, and come up with something that will put a watermark on an artificial intelligence generated piece of content so that it's known that that's, that it's not real and, and, um, you know, cannot be, so it can't be used for, a, for an evidentiary purpose and, and authentication. So I was pleased to see that. Now, whether they'll do it or not, of course, is a different story. And, you know, as somebody pointed out in the article, that having entered into this voluntary commitment, if they don't do it, then that could be considered a deceptive practice under the FTC regulate. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, sounded good, but who knows. Uh, but at least there's some recognition of this that this is could be a, a problem down the road so i was pleased to see it so i assume we'll have G gdp judges who make the decision <laughs> i'm waiting for joe's crickets <laughs> I, you know I, it's yeah um it's interesting. I, we, you know, FTC, this is slightly off topic, but like, look, the FTC has had itself a week, right? Like it lost, it, it's lost this Microsoft case in an opinion that is really bad. Uh, like uh, antitrust professors were calling me and telling me, do you want me to comment on how bad and misguided this opinion is? Uh, and then it releases these new merger guidelines and everyone's like, well, we hate these merger guidelines. It's like, why? Well, then it would have, it wouldn't have allowed us to make that decision. It's like, yeah, it, it returns it to where we were before, whatever. And it's like, what do we base that decision on? Oh, the merger guidelines written in 2003. And it's like, yeah, those were written to overturn the history of like, it's just the FTC has been at the center of everything. I unfortunately feel that a lot of it is that people feel uh, bad faith actors feel like they can kick Lena Khan uh, and that's not great. Uh, but, you know, uh, so I think the FTC is going to become a lot bigger conversation, not just this topic, uh, the topic we're talking about with mergers. I think they're going to become very active in this AI stuff. Like the, We need to really zero in on that agency because I think it's going to where it goes dictates a lot of where we're going to go. All right. Well, uh <laughs> Uh, Gene, what about the sort of the flip side of uh, companies pledging to uh, review their, I mean, to uh, police their uh, programs, but uh, you've, you've got a report on a study well, saying that maybe these programs are moving in the wrong direction. 
I, I and I have to thank uh, Jeff Brandt for this. I I've been off Pinhawk for two years, and I suddenly got myself resubscribed. And he had the headline was Dumb and Dumber, so he picked up two stories, uh, and supposedly both Berkeley and Stanford did some kind of a study comparing G GDP three point five and four between March and June. And it appeared that GDP three was getting smarter and GDP four was getting dumber. So I be I began I for a moment I had this this thought of you know the the Robin Williams movie Awakenings you know where the Oliver Sacks tried out a new drug on catatonic people and it worked for a while and then it got dumb and I was I was sort of anthropomorphizing the uh, the, the technology so but it. I don't know. And then I I did ping Pablo Arredondo from Case Texas that have you heard of the study? What do you think? And his answer was, well, it's not going to I don't think the study is good and it's not going to affect Case Text because we use our own we use our own algorithms. So who knows? Um, but it it it's just it raises a lot of interesting questions. And a lot of the commentary on the arts in the Ars Technica article. We're talking about how it's a well. Somebody actually suggested it was a there was a conspiracy afoot to create you know revenue, and then some other people were saying part of the problem is that OpenAI is so closed, and people may be built. There may be changes while people are building on top of their systems, and they don't disclose changes. And I don't, you know, I am not technical enough to, to be able to assess any of the, the the comments in that article. But I just thought it did raise, it's so contrarian to everything we've been hearing of, it's going to overthrow the world. And then, oh, wait a minute, maybe, maybe we need to step back from this. Um, this... Oh, I was just going to say, this is what I like to call the Wikipedia paradox. Uh, remember when Wikipedia started and it was like, everything's so good and it's so smart and people are making corrections immediately. And this is the wisdom of crowds. Everything is great when it's decentralized and run out of that wisdom that's collective. And then like, oh my God, why are people typing dumb things? What's going on? What are, like, And now we're starting to get, as the popularity increases, we're about to get the idiocy of crowds as dumber and dumber things get involved in the training. Uh, like it started on a pristine data set, right? You know, for instance, Bob's it. website. Are you saying but now it's after everything? Yeah. Are you saying users are making it stupid? I was afraid to say that. Is that what's happening? Yeah, I, I got to assume, right? Because didn't we didn't we in the last episode talk about how certain kinds of data users input don't get used for training but others do and like so well, so i don't the, i don't think i, I thought think, none of it was getting used for training or or more in a controlled way it's that it's that user data is being archived for basically for their own sort of security and and you know uh, compliance issues for up to 30 days uh but i think i don't, I don't think like if i i don't think they are using just your our queries well, it, and, and chat gpt to train the model on it depends it, because we got ahead an answer last week there's multiple levels that you know you can i think right now you have the option to shut it off so they don't use it but in the beginning they were using the data input and i think some people they're still using that input so i think that's an issue i think something that was raised in the chat is another issue i can't remember who said it but was oh dave said uh, I think it was the host and panelists, but is the tech getting worse or are the costs of running the servers finally sinking in? And so they're, um, and then I've also read articles that talk about how they're really now using eight different servers and uh, eight different sort of um, data sets instead of one and combining them in some weird way. And that's why it's changed because they're trying to make the servers more efficient. But another, another corollary issue that I uh, read about that is a particularly interesting concept is, you know, right now the data in chat GPT, at least, is limited through 2021, right? Nothing new has been added in terms of what's on the internet. <clears throat> but the article I read talked about how AI is already inundating the internet, AI written pieces. Pieces written by AI are all over the internet. So A, it's going to ruin the internet, which is something we've talked about before. But the other thing it's going to do is once, if they open it up to the internet, 
It's going to be taking in AI data and AI created documents. And what eventually happens in terms of they've done a lot of experiments with this is that it ultimately completely degrades the responses. So they almost become nonsensical. And the example that they used was if you feed it 10 yellow cats and 90 red cats, and then um, what it's going to start doing when it's initially working properly is sometimes feeds you up like a yellowish, an orangey looking cat. But over time, all you're going to get is orange cats because it's going to start using all this data and the cats are going to become oranger and oranger and eventually you're going to end up with orange cats, even though, uh, and it's because it's taking data that it's created based upon the prior data and feeding off of its own data instead of human created data. And so um, unless they start to control that, and that may be one reason why OpenAI has not opened it up to 2021 and beyond, um, because there is that concern that the data is almost contaminated by AI versus human input. So that's another interesting issue. Yeah, I thought they the the parts that they were taking, and I can't remember again. This was all handled last week, and I can't remember the, how we all resolved it. But it's not like they're taking new data, but they are taking like the stuff like if I typed in a prompt and then I got something, and then I said, "Oh no, that's not it," and I retyped the prompt. It was taking kind of like, "Oh, then I guess what I created wasn't good, so I need to do something like and." And that kind of data, I, I, I don't know. Somebody else is better at this than me. Yeah. I definitely think that's part of it. I mean, that's it yeah. absolutely, up until recently, you couldn't control, it was just taking everything and using it to continue to train all the input. And then they gave you the ability to turn some of it off. And now they have like multiple levels of security, depending on what you're trying to use, not chat GPT for, but GPT for. But even with chat GPT, you can, you know, choose not to let them train on the data that you input, but not everyone's choosing that. It's a setting that you can turn on or off it last I knew. And so you're, I 100% agree that part of what's happening is it's getting trained on that input and the corrections and the subsequent inner conversations people have with it um, that are still opened up in that respect and not closed because someone clicked that setting. So for sure, I think that's an issue. What I'd raised was sort of a separate issue that I read about that I thought was also really interesting. So I just posted an article from TechCrunch from back in March that says that OpenAI won't use any customer data, any data submitted through its API for model training or other service improvements unless a customer or organization opts in. So there must be an opt-in to it. Um, all right, we're just about out of time. <clears throat> Victor, I didn't get a chance to uh, talk about the podcast, but you've got an interesting podcast this week with everybody's favorite e-discovery uh, guy, John Trenenic. <laughs> on, oh yeah, uh, thanks for reminding me, yeah. 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 It was a great podcast. Link. I'll put a link in the thanks. chat here. I listened, this, but... I listened to it and it was really good. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, he was, uh, he, he obviously had a lot, he, he had a lot of, um, a lot of interesting things to, to say about uh, how GPT and, the, and that technology is going to affect uh, e-discovery and whatnot. And I thought it was very interesting to just, just you know, plus, you know, he was also, he was also there at the beginning of, TAR. So he talks a little bit about how like that, that hype cycle compared to this one and how, you know, uh, you know, obviously that one turned out a lot differently than what they thought it would, but you know, it didn't catch on as much as people thought it, as much as GPT has. So it's kind of interesting just kind of getting his thoughts about like, sort of like what it was like at that point and what it's like now. So. Full disclosure, I used to work for John and I still like him. So you didn't work for him when he got a 75 million for, for, for selling cats. <laughs> I know it. I left too early. Um, uh, all right. Well, I think that does it for this week. Joe, you're going to be off next week, right? Then won't see you next week. I, 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 I feel like this is an exception. I can come because I'm not getting paid by breaking media for this. So I may as well do this. <laughs> okay. So uh, right. I, I'll tell, I take that to mean make sure we don't ever pay you for it either. Uh, right. We don't, want, we don't want to feel like work for you. I'm not having other kids, so it should be good. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, which is uh, congratulations to David Ladd, who just announced he had another, another oh, yeah. baby today. Uh, all right. Well, that does it for this week, and I uh, hope to be back next Friday. There's actually a whole bunch of news. It's not already. I think we all, we're probably all in the same loop on this stuff, but there's a bunch of stories coming next week, several new uh Gen AI products uh, being released. I was afraid one of stuff, us would so. slip. <laughs> Start talking about it. <laughs> yeah. 
We should we should just like all conspire to blow these stupid embargoes ahead of. <laughs> I mean, well, I I just thought it was really really weird that Westlaw declared that they were going uh, buying IBM. Like that was just such a. Oh wait, no. <laughs> All right, we will see you. The ABA Journal link, I think, is you have to be an ABA Journal subscriber now to to get uh, it. That, I mean, you have to be an ABA member to uh, just just it? go just go to Legal Talk Network. It's it's free there. Oh, uh, <laughs> thank you for, I did, I did, for I telling us that. how to get around the paywall at the ABA. I I, I didn't say that. Yeah, uh, here I'll, I'll um here. There you go. Perfect. All right. Good. All right. See y'all, uh, see some of you next week anyway, I hope. Thanks. So long, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.